The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Hi, this is Jim. And this is Bax. Check out our podcast, The Step Over, Liberty Ballers Podcast Network, for all of your Sixers needs. Player analysis, game breakdowns, who would look coolest in a headband, and more. Subscribe to Liberty Ballers podcast feed on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, and check out The Step Over, a podcast about Sixers basketball. Mostly. Michael Kist, Benjamin Solak. It's the Kist and Solak Show, presented by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. You are flying high on the Kist and Solak Show. This is episode 47 brought to you by the fine folks at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. You can follow me on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. That's K-I-S-T. Nailed it again. That's two days in a row, baby. As always. K-I-S two days in a row. <laughs> joined by the best doggone co-host in the game, Mr. Eight Year Streak Without a Bad Day. He is Benjamin Solak. Follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. Ben. We got a lot to talk about because the game last night did not exactly go the way in which that would have what the heck, man? benefited the Eagles. What didn't I say I would be I would be mad as heck if the Saints just laid an egg against the Cowboys and the Cowboys came to play, but wow. I did not so I didn't watch until like um at halftime I checked the score. Like I was just curious to see what the score was, and it was thirteen to nothing. The moment I opened it, I heard in the back of my head my own voice saying <laughs> The Cowboys really, they're just an average defense, yeah. which I said on the podcast that day. And then they held the Saints scoreless in the first half. Now, a lot of it was like time of possession y sort of stuff. Like the Saints held the ball for, I think, like eight and a half minutes in the first quarter right. or, or the first half or something like that. Which is kind of how you have to beat them. Minimizing their drives, a lot of incompletions, you know, whatever. It's it's a very strong, impactful win. It does huge numbers for the Cowboys playoff odds. Philadelphia still is a good shot. For the playoffs, uh, not good. Philadelphia sells an outside shot for the playoffs, and I wrote about that for Leading Green Nation. You can go find that up there. I take umbrage with two things. Mm. One, the idea that it's a statement win. Mm. Because, like, I actually, I mean, I guess perhaps I, I don't. I disagree with that. I, I get, like, if you're going there, I, I, yeah. Think through well, it. So, like, so <laughs> I, I think, I know, I think, I think the two things are, are, are linked, my two points of umbrage. We should start with the second one. The second one is, we, was felt very exciting. The Cowboys beating the Saints. Obviously, the Cowboys are a team that gets incredible national coverage. But we know, 
regardless of what we just saw in a one-game sample size, that the Cowboys' style of play and strengths do not beat the Saints' style of play and strengths on average in today's NFL. Right. Like, when you have a ball control, run-first, defense-oriented team playing a super pass-happy, high-powered offense, we know for a fact, independent of the results of the Saints-Cowboys game on Thursday night, that typically the high-powered offense is winning that game. Offense success is more stable from a game-to-game basis than defensive success. And we un- we know that. Would you call this an island game? Because that's kind of what I felt like it was. Like that 10% that rarely is going to happen in this situation where a lot of things go the Cowboys' way. And again, credit to that defense that was playing fast. They were playing aggressive and it masked some of their deficiency. The coverage was awesome. But you don't get away with a lot of stuff that you get away with from an offensive perspective from ball security and what Dak was unable to do at the end of that game. And win that game more than 10% of the time against the Saints. I just don't, I don't buy it. Right. So here's my thing is if, if you're willing to call it an island game, then for me, it's difficult to call it a statement game because, uh, uh, and, and like, I'm, I'm trying to be careful here because I really don't, like, I, I, I promise you, <laughs> I don't want to take anything away from the Cowboys because the Cowboys played a fantastic half that I watched. Um, and then clearly a, a, a fantastic four quarters, a dominant four quarters. It's tough for me to say this is a statement game because what is the statement? Is the statement, listen, we're going to win the Super Bowl by stringing together four of these games that are improbable and are not typically won in today's NFL? I think the statement and the, and the, and, and what Garrett was alluding to after the game, the, the statement is the fact that number one, they can hang with the Saints with nobody thought they could. And that galvanizes a team, in my opinion. You know what I mean? Regardless if they won that game or right. not, just them hanging with them would have been a victory for them, especially for their confidence. And the fact that they did it in a physical manner and on defense were very, very clean, I think that's part of the statement. So as far as like, what does it mean long term? I don't think it means a whole lot. But for that team, I think it it means a lot. And I think it does make a statement, maybe not to the degree that national media is going to play it up to be, but not to the point where it's uh, irrelevant, which is not what I'm saying you're saying at all. Right now, I, I hear that. I hear in the sense it makes a statement like, look, like we have enough defensive talent to shut down one of the top offenses in the NFL. But uh, to me, if your statement is, and now we're competitive in the NFC, <laughs> I, I, I remain wholly unconvinced. Right, I agree. You know what I mean? You were, you were in a one-possession game for three quarters with a Colt McCoy-led Washington Redskins team, right? right. You've came out and laid stinkers this season against like the Titans and against uh, – what was the other what was the other game that they were super bad in? The Panthers week one, they were awful and that's obviously a long ways away. I understand that. I believe this defense is gonna come out and be very difficult to beat for every single team that they face in the remainder of the regular season. They have Philadelphia, Indianapolis, Tampa Bay, and the Giants. I expect this defense to have great games for all four games. It'll be interesting to see. Long week, none of the emotions of facing a team like the Saints. We're gonna see if they come out against Philadelphia with the same fire, right. with, with the same with the same jazz. You know, so many of the players talked about how high effort and high motor they were. Are they gonna be able to do that for the entire month of December? You know, it's just difficult. Your body's been worn down. Um, but I think their defense is gonna come out. I think they have a good chance of, of winning. You know, the next four games they're gonna finish eleven and five. Like Dallas, absolutely has a good shot at that. And then I think that they're gonna play Seattle at home. Yeah, Los Angeles on the or uh, it would be New Orleans on the road, and then Los Angeles on the road, and I don't see them winning one of those games, right. let alone all three. Yeah, right. And what it simply comes down to is that we we can enjoy 
the fact that a defense just beat the most high-powered offense we've seen in a long time. Like, the Saints statistically are an insanely efficient offense. We can enjoy that. But we have to acknowledge from an umbrella perspective, we say things as NFL analysts all the time, like you can't win without a quarterback. Mm. You can't. It's very difficult to win Super Bowl without a quarterback. We know that offensive play is stickier than defensive play. And if we know these things to be true, right. we can enjoy that win. And part of the reason it's so much fun is because we in- inherently understand that it's aberrative. We inherently understand the seven-point underdog Dallas Cowboys were not supposed to win that game. And that's what makes it fun. Yeah. Like That's what's exciting about it. That's why it. they play the game. Um, but so. I don't like... Like, if this is, like, a statement, like, the Cowboys are competitors now, I do not believe so. I, I would like to see drastically improved play from Dak Prescott. I would like to see markedly improved offensive line play. I'd like to see anybody but Amari Cooper be relevant in the passing game for that to be even something that I begin considering. So, like, congrats to the Cowboys. Obviously, hurts Eagles' playoff odds. Eagles were no more likely to be competitive in the playoffs. We all knew that. Big win for the Cowboys. I don't, like... I'm not like, oh, no, what if they go far into playoffs? I don't believe they will. Yeah, and I'll put this out there. Dak Prescott still scares the living day. If I were a Cowboys fan, I mean, he, he would scare the daylights out of me. And I've been actually. He tried to give the game away. Yeah. No, he absolutely tried to give the game away. 13 and to 10. And breezed through like his third interception of the year or something, right? Like, like. Like, he's thrown an interception on one out of every, like, 200 passes at this point, and he threw one of them uh, at the worst time, which wasn't even his fault. PFF charted it, and and they had a stat that said these sacks are on the quarterback, because not all sacks are offensive line stats. And they charted Dak with the most sacks charted to him out of any quarterback in the NFL. I would agree with that, because he struggles with anticipation, his pocket movement is bad and whatnot, and... That fumble at the end of the game that let the Saints kind of back into it was just egregious. And he had some fumble luck before that, too. So I thought he had an efficient first half. I thought it, when it mattered, he he really depended on that defense. And the defense, for their sake, luckily for them, came through for them. So it's going to be interesting to see how that pans out. I can't see Dak going. If, if the defense doesn't hold a, a team to 13 to 20 points in the playoffs, I can't see Dak going blow for blow with Jared Goff with with Drew Brees. I mean, that's just, right. it's not going to happen. So we'll see how that plays out. We'll see how wrong we are. But uh, again, I know we called the, the defense average, and I said that they were really good at limiting explosive plays, which they, which they were on that night. They played uh, above their weight and really flew around. It was impressive to see. I would love to see that kind of effort from the Eagles. But, you know... Here we are. Well, yeah. So, so the, obviously the the Cowboys were kind of at a mental spot where they were like, "We are a team that can play with these guys," and they are. Philadelphia's at a point where their their big thing is going to be like, you know, we can can we be competent, be competitive in the division, <laughs> right? Can we like yeah. be competitive within the guys within our division? Which obviously this two week spread is huge for that. But if you want to know more about why these two weeks are important, go read my post on Bleeding Green or whatever. Yeah, we'll go over all that. The main thing that we need to take care of is the Washington Redskins. The game right in front of us, and then we'll worry about the Cowboys after that. So yesterday we previewed the Eagles' defense and what they could do against the Redskins' offense. Today we're flipping it. So we're going to be talk- talking about the Eagles' offense against this mm-hmm. Redskins' defense. As always, there is house cleaning to do. We have an injury report from Thursday. We're recording this on Friday morning. So some of this may be a little bit outdated when they release a new one, but here's what it's looking like. Uh, did not participate on Thursday. Michael Bennett with a foot which is bad. No, it's good that he has feet. He needs two of them. (laughs) Jokes! Linebacker Jordan Hicks with a calf. I wouldn't expect him to play. 
Avanti Maddox did not participate. He's still dealing with the knee and the ankle. Jalen Mills with the foot. That's also bad news. Uh, Jason Peters was out. It was uh, not injury-related. It was personal. Limited participation. Nigel Bradham is dealing with the thumb that was broken in three places, had surgery on it. We talked about that yesterday on the show and the impact of that, what it would have to do with the, with the defense, what we might move around if we were Jim Schwartz. Offensive guard Brandon Brooks is dealing with an ankle. Defensive tackle Timmy Jernigan, a limited participant with an illness. Wouldn't worry too much about that. And then running back Darren Sproles has not had a setback yet with his hamstring. I am not holding my breath on that one, but it looks like he may be available for Monday, which would be nice. Full participation, Rasul Douglas, Sidney Jones, Chandon Sullivan. Sidney Jones and Rasul Douglas for me are the two big ones. So that's good news. Hopefully we can get both of them back. Yes, Sidney Jones and Sewell. I think Sewell's expected to be back because he was like, could have played and then he... He dressed and played. Right, yeah. exactly. Sidney's obviously massive and you're at a point where you definitely, you want to be seeing what your young guys have. You know, the season's not over, but you want to be seeing what your young guys have. Kind of in that weird st- state of limbo. I will say, Mike, we are in year four of Jordan Hicks's career. And he has now missed multiple games in a season three or four times. I mean, it really doesn't matter because three. you can go back to his history at Tennessee and he Texas. missed a ton of time there too. That was the knock on him. And it's a lot of this similar like soft tissue and, and, and you know muscle injuries and all that stuff there at Texas. Not Tennessee, which is the first goal you said. I also said Vernon Adams instead of Vernon Davis yesterday because I was Wait, thinking you about s- draft Twitter. You said Vernon Adams? All right, I thought yeah. it was me. Corrections and omissions. We're getting it all out there. So Mike was wrong. But yeah, mm-hmm. at, at Texas had some of those injuries. That, and it's the same thing in the pros. How do you give that guy a contract that's that's worth anything? And I think that's kind of where you're going with it because this yeah. happens all of the time. You can't. Can't trust like, him. Like Hicks is a nice guy to have on your roster. And it would be easier to roster him, roster him if Philadelphia had a suitable backup linebacker. But here's the secret, Mike. They don't, as we've discussed. Like, you know, you'd like to say, okay, start Hicks and Bradham and then rotate in Camus. And those would be your three. And you would always play with two linebackers and Jenkins down in the box. It's tricky because I'd still be willing to give Hicks like a three-year deal cheap. I just don't know how valuable he's going to be on the open market because I think teams are also going to be very scared of his health concerns. So, yeah, you're at a point where just Hicks's value is depreciating with every injury and he's injured again. And it's a dang shame. If he wasn't injured again, I thought he was having a really solid season and would have made some money on the open market. But then this issue pops up again. And now if you're the Eagles, you're concerned. If your other teams are concerned, I don't know what kind of money he's going to want. I'm fully fine if he wants too much money with letting him walk and having Bradham and, and Kamugurje Hill as the starters moving forward. Because obviously, you know, Bradham's locked right. in. I'm fine with that as well, but then you need a third. That's what I'm saying is the issue there, right? Is yeah. your third you want your third to be Gary? No. You want your third to be Leroy Reynolds? Ideally no. not. You know, Joe Walker, is he still a thing? I'm honestly not positive. You create another hole. Right. If you if you let Hicks walk, you're probably looking at a middle round picket linebacker in twenty nineteen, unless there's somebody on the open market you can get for cheap, like a veteran who can kind of stop gap that for you. But Philadelphia's recent history with grabbing stop gap veterans has not been so great. So you're in a tricky spot. Like, like I think ideally you get Hicks for like a three year. I don't know. I haven't looked at, million. I haven't looked at numbers, but what, like 12, 15 million. Right? I was like going to say about a 4 mil yeah. average, about 12 is what I'm willing to. like. Right. Which with. like, I don't know how reasonable that is. I haven't looked at linebacker contract right. numbers in a hot second. Last time I looked at them actually was when I was arguing to extend Nigel Bradham and look where we are. He's playing bad. Uh, but anyway, 
Like, I think that's still your ideal situation. Yeah. But it just depends on how Hicks is valued in the open market by other teams with some really great play, but also some really bad injury concerns, kind of where you're at with that. So yeah. obviously that's not specifically Washington, but it's just it's it's sad to see Hicks on a multi-game injury report yet again. It's a dang shame. So moving on from that, we'll get into this preview about the Redskins defense since we've covered the Eagles defense uh, pretty well here so far on this here show. So moving on to the, the preview of the Eagles offense against this Washington Redskins defense. Ben, I had a fun experience on Twitter the past 24 hours with Washington Redskins hashtag hitter Twitter. Uh, apparently, there is a massive debate among Washington fans, and a lot of writers and fans chimed in on my thread where I put up uh, four plays from Mason Foster, but there's a big argument if he's good or bad, and those that think he's good will cite his tackle stats, which will tell you He's in the top five or whatever. I don't care. I don't look at pure volume tackle stats. So let me tell you what I think about Foster, and maybe that has to do with why their running game is struggling with or their rush defense is struggling with efficiency and yards per carry, despite the fact you know that they had that awesome line. So first, in the three games that I rewatched, Tampa Bay, Houston, and Dallas, first drive each of those games, there was a play where I would have circled Foster as the guy to attack. At least one play in all of those, especially in coverage. Against Houston, there were four that I've already talked about that I put on my timeline. Four plays in the first drive. They were abysmal reps. So check that out at Michael Kist NFL. He was just a liability or missed a run fit or a tackle or a coverage assignment. He can't run. He's a space cadet in coverage. He freelances poorly. He's a space cadet in coverage. <laughs> He's bad. They're mean. He's working behind a line that includes... Jonathan Allen, Ricky Duran Payne, and good. Matt Ioannidis all playing very good. very good football. I love that trio. And Foster sits behind all that and racks up these cake tackles where he's unblocked because they're two gapping and the front four is keeping him clean. And he's adding zero plays of impact for himself. His run percentage should be much higher. And he's a big reason that they're struggling to be efficient against the run. And, and dialing back the tackle stats, they may they, they may be the worst stat in the entirety of stats across all sports. They QB rating, relatively or nothing rating. Never mind. in the in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, QB rating is is flawed for sure. But I, I would argue that tackle stats are worse. The the reason he's not losing the snaps, and we can talk, start to talk about this unit, you know, as a whole is because there's nobody there to take his job. Josh Harvey Clemens is an undersized safety convert, is ghastly against the run, is a sloppy tackler, and only occasionally flashes some of what Washington drafted him for in coverage. Six-round rookie Sean Dion Hamilton, who we both liked, also undersized, can't really see the field yet, getting limited reps. So you're stuck with Foster and Zach Brown, who I actually like, despite some of his limitations in coverage. If I might grow... I mean, I'm doing everything in my power to put Foster in a bind in coverage, and I don't care who or how you attack. Attack the middle, short, and intermediate. And I was shocked to find out that the Redskins haven't allowed a tight end for over 60 receiving yards in a game this season, and, and it's probably due to the safety DJ Swearinger, who I would avoid, and he is playing some excellent ball. Like Zach Ertz is matchup proof. Maybe you try to avoid Swearinger by moving things around and whatnot, because I can see him having a very good day. And Lord help Mason Foster or Zach Brown if they draw coverage with either Zach Ertz, Goddard, Tate, or Aguilar. Uh, in the running backs, too, the Redskins allow the fifth most receptions to, to running backs per game. Maybe we get to see what Josh Adams has as a receiver. I don't think it's much, uh, but this would be 
the data show that? And if not, well, then Corey Clement needs to go and be a hat and earn some snaps back. You like that pun? Ben, go ahead. I wonder if the reason the Redskins, I'm trying to remember their schedule. I wonder if the reason the Redskins haven't allowed over 60 yards to a tight end is because they just simply have not faced any tight ends. Yeah. I mean, that's totally possible. Because, like, if we think about it, who are the most effective tight ends right now in the league? What? It's going to be Ertz, Gronk, Ertz, Kelsey. Kelsey, Kittle, Gronk, who, like, has not had, like, a great season or whatever. Right. They played so the they Colts, faced... but they also split between Ebron and, and Doyle. Well, they played the Colts in week two when right. Ebron was not yet a thing. Right. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's the Packers, the Saints, the Panthers. I'm relatively sure before Greg Olson was playing. The Cowboys, the Giants, the Falcons, the Buccaneers. Okay. So the Buccaneers. Literally every other team on this schedule is like a murderer's row of awful tight ends. Yeah, I yeah, I agree. They had the Packers in week three. They did have the Packers in week three, which I don't know how Graham did in that game. I don't really Graham hasn't really done too much this season. I don't really even know how successful he's been. So yes, I'm gonna argue that a lot of that is because they have uh not so much there in terms of the opponents they've played. Yeah, man, when you want to get your tight ends, when you want to attack linebacker matchups, with the way that that Washington likes to run their cover three and cover two. Really, it's just underneath crossers as a whole because they're going to yeah. run a lot of zone. They don't run a ton of man. Uh, I really like the way they run cover three, by the way. I feel like if you're an Eagle fan and you hate cover three and you're like, this is the worst coverage ever, watch the Redskins on Monday night and that's what cover three could look like. But anyway, <laughs> it's just going to be underneath crossers in general because they're just going to be your hook curl defenders. And so you can get backs out there if you want to. It's going to be like like mesh sit, like that idea that we saw a ton against the Giants is going to be something that's also going to be successful. Yeah, it would be. this would be a great game for Sproles to be back because you could release Sproles on option routes, which is the obviously the, the route that Kamara had that interception on that sealed the game against the Cowboys. But you can release Sproles on option routes and flare routes, and you can really expose the quickness of those linebackers in coverage. But also, you can do the very same thing with Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard. They also both run option routes out of the tight end position. Absolutely, I think that, yeah, you're going to see a very heavy underneath zone tight end attack against Washington. That's what would make a ton of sense to me. It's not in the sense that I think that their corners can't be beat. I think Josh Norman's having a pretty up and down year. I think you can beat Norman a fair bit if you want to. Obviously, Quentin Dunbar playing on the opposite side as a wide receiver convert, who's got great length and everything, but technique-wise, he's still learning every week. He's not by any... Uh, by any means, like kind of like a lockdown guy. He's kind of slowed down too in in his play since he came back from his uh, shin injury. So he's had some struggles in pass coverage, and they, they're starting to get beat. I mean, this is a this is a pass defense. They gave up nine point three yards per attempt and a one hundred twenty one point six quarterback rating against Dak Prescott. Well, I don't know if you heard it, the uh, <laughs> the Cowboys should be extending Dak Prescott. Did you hear about this? I hope they do. One of our one of our our favorite analysts on oh Philadelphia boy. sports media, my good Michael. <laughs> yes, he he was describing why uh, why Dak should be extended, and he was saying, well, in the past four games, three of those games, he's had a pass rating over a hundred, and then in the one that he didn't, he had a game winning drive. So Cowboys should extend him. Yeah. I forgot about that secret code that formula yeah if you have 75 percent of your games with 100 percent passer rating the other 25 percent of a game winning drive you are good whoa can't wait to flip those stats around with some other guys and say hey i can i can find this sample size for a lot of really a bad lot quarterbacks. of people yep <laughs> that's incredible but yeah go, going back to the to their past defense I mean, part of what they, they need to do well against the Eagles is really get that pass rush going. And like I've said, I, I really like the trio that they have in the middle. But then on the outside, too, 
You're talking about Ryan Kerrigan, who has eight sacks this year. Yo, Matt Matt Ioannidis has seven and a half sacks this year, which is pretty yeah. dope. Matt That's- Ioannidis and Ryan Kerrigan every year combine for like 18 sacks and nobody talks about it. Yeah, no one I, – Kerrigan, I feel, is like one of the most under – and he's an Eagles killer too, so we know about him. But Kerrigan is like one of the most he's, underrated he's, he's guys. A, he's a big V killer. Yeah, I mean everyone's a big V killer. But at the same time, Kerrigan does it against you know some pretty good guys too. Uh, also, Preston Smith. I mean I like the way he's been playing the last couple of games from what I watched. Ryan Anderson is getting some reps. I think he's more solid in run defense. But even in his limited reps, he's added a couple sacks. They like to blitz. DJ Swearinger, he's, he's very good at that. Uh, same with Josh Harvey Clemens. I would say that that's his best skill is rushing the passer when they do come with the blitz so the eagles have to be cognizant of that what do you think of the matchups uh on the bookends there at right tackle lane johnson will be taking on ryan kerrigan and then you're going to get like preston smith against uh, jason peters i think that you're probably going to be fine against a four-man rush i think philadelphia's offensive line will be able to hold up reasonably well washington's going to win some but they really don't have stellar pass rushing upside from the interior uh you're going to get Power problems with Payne or Allen matched up against Samalo. That's going to happen. Those yeah. two guys are power rushers, and Samalo's weakness right now is dealing with power. So you're going to have that problem. You can even say Jason Kelsey's issue is dealing with power just from a uh, a size perspective, though Kelsey's is much better at handling power when it comes to him than, than Samalo is by virtue right. of experience and technique. Uh, and then uh, on the outside, I think you're going to be able to find success with Jason Peters and Lane Johnson. Obviously, uh, as I just said, Ioannidis and Kerrigan are good. And Preston Smith, these are guys who can rush the passer well. I didn't realize they had Pernell McPhee, by the way, also yeah, rostered. Yeah, I yeah. feel like that, like that took me for a loop. But <laughs> this, this, is a, this is a deep pass rush. Obviously, Kerrigan is very, very good. I would not yet call him an elite player. I think he is in that like tier two, tier three. And so as a result, you you kind of – there's nobody you're particularly worried about taking the game over the way you might be with like uh, Demarcus Lawrence out of Dallas. You know, they, they, you, they don't have a particular rusher like that. So I think you're fine. That being said, uh, they blitz very effectively. I think they pick their spots well uh, to blitz our, you know, compatriots, our comrades in arms. Uh, Greg Cassell and Fran Duffy with Eagle Eye in the Sky broke down how frequently the Redskins blitz and what situations they do it. And that was very good. I enjoyed that. Uh, so you should go check that out. It's a little mm. free promotion, I suppose. So they 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 blitz well. I don't think they blitz at a super high degree. It's really they're picking their spots on third on, on, on third and medium, third and long passing downs. I like Tom Sula a lot, just in the way that his his defensive line is clearly very very well coached. They we we talked a few weeks ago. We've kind of fallen away from it. Uh, the value of rush lane integrity. And yeah. I think that's something you see a ton from Washington in the sense that everybody is very measured. Those de- interior defensive guys push the depth of the pocket, but they close down escape lanes, which kind of really help suffocate quarterbacks who are inside there. It makes their edge rushers more productive. So I think it's something you see there as well. Tom Sula defensive lines are always very, very just technically sound. And you have to appreciate that. I don't think this line is a great pass rushing line as a whole. They just don't have great interior rush. But... Uh, they know what their strengths are, and they rush as a unit. And that will always be helpful and successful. I'm very interested to see Carson. Is he just going to stand in the pocket and let things kind of collapse around him, or is he going to escape? Because we, we've been wanting to see a, a few more escapes from him, a, a bit more proactive pocket movement, uh, something we haven't seen. So I'd love for that to be able to come out for, for Carson. That would be great this week. Yeah, and what you look at when, when you're looking at this Washington Redskins defense, and you kind of alluded to I agree with you as, as far as matching up versus four guys coming after you. 
I think that this line is going to be able to hold up. And I can see the issues that you're of, of what you speak about Siamalu dealing with power because Ron Payne and Jonathan Allen can can really mess you up in that way. But when yeah. you look at this Redskins defense and you mentioned third down medium, you know, third down and long, their defense is bad, but it gets really good when they're in a position to blitz. So on the year, they rank 28th with 43% allowed on third down, but you move it to, and I just pulled this up here from um, NFL uh, NFL matchup, third and long defense, the Redskins are sixth, actually tied for fifth with the Steelers on third and long defense because they are able to dial up those blitzes and really come after you. And what there we saw go. last week, was that the Giants, when they blitzed the Eagles, and we talked about this, but James Betcher, the Giants defensive coordinator, came with 32% blitzing, two sacks, 1.8 yards per play, and a 20% opposing success rate from the Eagles. So they have been struggling against the blitz, so that's something that you could see. And obviously the key for the Eagles with that is not getting yourself into third and long situations. Luckily, for the Eagles, the Redskins, despite that trio that they have up front and despite some good line linebacker play from Zach Brown, despite and, and a terrible play from Mason Foster, this is a team that is struggling with efficiency on the ground. 26th or 28th, something like that in efficiency for DVOA in the last three games are allowing something like five or six yards per carry. So you can run on them. And I think we, we were talking about it before the show. Some of it has to do with the fact that, you know, these defensive linemen aren't really penetrators. Jonathan Allen and Deron Payne are more the two-gapping type. So they're going to hold things up, and then the linebackers have to come and clean it up, which is an area where I think the Redskins have struggled a little bit more. What do you expect from the ground game? Because Josh Adams having 22 carries last week, which is really an outlier for the Eagles historically, would you expect more run from the Eagles early to try to get that established, quote unquote, or would you expect them to just like throw it out in a drive, see if it's working and then kind of stick with it later on when the passing game isn't clicking for them? Yeah, I'm never going to expect Peterson to all of a sudden care about establishing the run early. That has never once been his way remotely. (laughs) I do not anticipate that changing now. I look at this Washington defense and while I acknowledge that they're statistically poor against the run, to me it's still a very uh, it's still a, a tricky defense to run against. I should say specifically up the middle, uh, that's where you're going to have the strength with Payne and with Jonathan Allen. I think that they are very strong there on the interior. And if we're talking about linebackers with movement skill problems like Mason Foster, well, you want to get him in space. You don't want to just be dealing with him in a phone booth where there isn't much room to evade him. Again, Philadelphia does not really have that evasive guy on the roster, but. Potentially they do with Darren Sproles coming back, so you don't really know. Um, you're at a point where with Philadelphia, you're um, the best passing attacks I've seen attack the Washington pass defense has been when teams are running out of trips and bunch sets because pretty much Washington is checking frantically to cover three Mabel or cover six skate against bunch. And have you noticed how bad they are against rub routes and you know pre-snap communication? It's been a mess for them. I want to say going back to like, way early in the season with the Colts game they really exposed that you could get them on rub concepts and things of that nature well absolutely and also they're incorporating a new safety in haha Clinton Dix who's going to be there for I believe his third game and so they're figuring that out you got um they've had they've been dealing with injuries to their defensive backfield in terms of their corner depth and so you've got yep. different guys coming out there in the slot so absolutely and then again as we've talked about you very unathletic linebackers so 
I think that Philadelphia can be very successful in the passing game out of bunch and trips sets. And so what does Philadelphia like to run out of that? They like to run crack toss out of that a ton. They'll love to run little jet sweep fakes and then run split zone off of that a ton. Pin pull. They can also run their trap wham off of it, off of bunch sets a fair bit. Typically, they, they prefer to run trap wham just out of like spread, which makes yeah. more sense. But they've ran like wham and crunch out of out of bunch tight sets before. So I think that's what you can expect to see in the running game. The running the, the passing game will inform the running game. That's how it always has for Doug Peterson's career. Just because they ran the ball well last week, just because Ron Jaworski is tweeting about how the Eagles never lose when they rush for over 100 yards, which, okay, <laughs> you should still expect the Eagles to run first or to, to pass first before they run the pass to inform the run. So I expect that you're going to see a ton of trips, a ton of bunch personnel, nasty slot alignments, something that we've typically seen from the Philadelphia offense. We know they do well, but I think particularly causes problems against the Washington defense because you can get them into their cover three checks when you're not just running like two by two formations. That being said, what naturally extends from all this is 12 personnel as all things extend into 12 personnel well it remains to be seen if they're actually going to play 12 or not um but i I think like that bunch tight uh heaviness makes a lot of sense and then i think you're going to see Ertz on a a billion uh over routes i think you're going to see a ton of levels which makes a lot of sense attacking the backside one of the things i love about the philadelphia offense we haven't talked about in a while is that they are a what i would call a weak side offense which is a made-up term but pretty much they love to like put trips to one side and then throw it to the other side, right? They love to put, you know, a, a three receivers spread out tray to one side and then throw it to the other side. They love to throw it to where there's space, where there's that one-on-one matchup. Uh, I think you're going to see that a ton as well because when you've got ideas like cover three Mabel, you know you're getting man coverage on isolated receivers backside and Alshon yep. Jeffrey should be able to beat Josh Norman pretty handily a lot of the time. So that's what I expect to see from Philadelphia. Uh, this would be a great game for Alshon to get fed targets, which he has not gotten yes. since Tate came to town. I would love to see that. Remains to be seen if they're going to they're gonna do that, but that's what I would love to see. Yeah, and they need to get things going in the red zone too. This Washington defense is a pretty good red zone defense, only allowing 50% of trips to convert into touchdowns. Right now the Eagles are at 55% conversions, ranks 21st in the league. Part of getting that going is finding those mismatches like you spoke about and getting Alshon on someone like Quentin Dunbar where he has a significant size and strength advantage. And as we've talked about a few times on this show, Josh Norman is pretty overrated based on how he's played in recent years. So there are going to be opportunities for the Eagles in the passing game. Ben, is there anything else that you wanted to touch on uh, as far as this Eagles offense goes? Maybe what you want to see from Carson Wentz just from a just from a processing perspective? Or is there, is there anything that stands out for you that we haven't really touched on yet? They got to start rolling them out, man. They really do. I just yeah, like, I, this I is something that I've been, I've been sitting on for a while. I'm not really sitting on it because I definitely have talked about it. They got to roll them out. And then I think there's, there's a few reasons why you got to roll them out. Number one, he's going to get hit less. Which makes doesn't make a lot of sense. You're getting him outside of the pocket. Yeah, but the second he gets outside of the pocket and like there's a defender pursuing him, number one, he's going to be more apt to throw it away. Which again, I don't think I've ever seen Carson Wentz throw a football away in my entire life, which is so bad. <laughs> but also part of that is that referees are going to become much more aware of Carson's body and his head and how he's getting hit. And obviously Carson doesn't get a ton of roughing the passer calls. Big dude. Plays physical. But when you're out there exposed in space, then you're more likely to get him. So that's one. Two, if the guy is having trouble leading onto his left leg and throwing the football, if he's throwing on the run, then he doesn't have to worry about that as much. A right-handed quarterback is going to launch off of his right foot to throw on the run 
95 billion percent of the time, right? It's not you can throw it off at your left. If anything has shown us, Aaron Rodgers can just chuck the ball from whatever platform he wants. And Carson's thrown it off his left before, but typically you launch off your right when you're a right-handed quarterback throwing on the move. So you're going to minimize that. You're going to take away uh, the 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 worry about him, uh, you know, kind of being wonky because he's not yet putting all of his weight on his left leg or whatever. Uh, and then the third thing I think is that bootlegs inherently inscribe play action. And it's something that is going to be very successful for the Philadelphia defense. On rollouts, you can often get better intermediate and deep plays as well as you kind of get flow going. I would love to see more rollouts. I think that it would help this offense tremendously. Then again, most things that I have thought would help this offense tremendously happen for like one game randomly and then they just vanish. And so I have little faith. So for me, and and I'm just looking at this from the Redskins, I'm on Warren Sharp's website against 11 personnel you should run against them. They're allowing a 54% successful run rate, and that's what you should do anyway. You should run from 11. You should spread and shred. And then against 12 personnel, they're actually pretty even. Successful pass and run rates that are uh, would, would be wins for the Eagles. So we continue to make the argument for 12 and 13 personnel every week. Didn't get through to grow until last week against the Giants where they upped that usage of 12 and 13 to 61%. We'll see if they stick with that in this game after having found success with it again after abandoning it after the bye week and acquiring Golden Tate. We'll see if there's a better balance like there was in the Giants game against this Redskins team. Obviously, that's something that we're going to be tracking. So as we move on to the predictions for this game, I'm going to use the Quant Edge line here at thequantedge.com. They're friends of ours, so they're going to get a free ad here. But they have the Vegas line at the same that we spoke about yesterday, which is six points for the Eagles. The over-under has moved up to 45. Ben, do the Eagles cover? Do the Eagles win? And over Mm -hmm. or under? Yeah, I think Philadelphia covers. I don't like that. Oh, that's scary. Okay, Philadelphia's going to win two games in a row, baby. It's going to be wild. I'm excited. Uh, Yeah, I think Philadelphia's going to cover. I wouldn't, if I were to bet anything, I would probably bet the under. I would generally stay away from this because I have no idea what Philadelphia is as a team. And then I also don't know what Colt McCoy is as a quarterback. So this is not a line I would touch. This feels to me like a game Philadelphia wins, you know, 20 to 13, 20 to 16. You know what I mean? Like, it feels ugly. Uh, feels like a lot of field goals. Feels like just like, you know, a bunch of punts. This is just like, that's, that's, that's kind of the vibe I'm getting here. What's important is that Philadelphia is going to understand, especially with the Dallas win, that they need to win this game to make the game against Dallas next week matter. Uh, and so I think that you'll you'll see a team that comes out with some heat. Obviously, they had the big comeback against the Giants, which you, you'll carry some momentum, even though you were down 19 to the Giants, and that's ridiculous. Uh, you'll carry some momentum into the game uh, accordingly. So I'm going to take the Eagles. Uh, I think 20... I'll take 20 to 13 because I said I'd take the Eagles against the spread, but 20 to 16 is probably my official prediction. They played one complete game this entire season, and it was against the Giants who they just struggled with. They haven't been able to string anything together. They haven't shown me, and I, and I hate to be negative about things, they haven't shown me that I should have faith in them to blow a Redskins team out that has Colt McCoy at quarterback. That's where things are at now. They need something big this game and we've said it for several weeks now and they haven't come through in any of those situations with the way that we thought they needed to come through even keeping things close against the freaking saints for a little bit would have been nice but they totally just laid down in that game so bad performance overall against good teams 
have beaten bad teams and have blown games late and just haven't put complete games together. I think this is a similar situation. I would love to see it different. I guess I'll go with 21 to 14 and I'll take the I'll take the under. I think it's a bit of a sloppy game. So that that's that's where we're at in our Eagles confidence index. <laughs> we got to start doing we got to start writing our predictions down like before we do this. Talk through it see if it changes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, not not like see if it changes. I just feel like we agree too much because we convince ourselves of our own of each other's points for two straight days. And then we're like, so what do you think is going to happen? Like, well, we just discussed what we thought was going to happen for yeah. you know an hour and a half. I will say the last game you had pretty much the same score I had in my head. You were just off by one point. I was coming into it with it, but yeah, maybe you convinced me. But the, well, I'll put it to you this way: the Eagles have not convinced me of anything. If they, I'll put it to you this way: if they win this one. Even though the Saints lost to the Cowboys, the winner of Cowboys-Eagles will control their own destiny in the division. Yeah. Right? So just one sentence that everybody in that locker room should be aware of. If we win this, we yeah. control our own destiny. Yeah. If we lose it, we don't. Yep. Boop. Very simple message to convey. And, you know, you hope you win this game. And maybe you get a Cowboys emotional letdown game after everything they put into that Saints win. Because that to me, is is a real thing and a possibility with that team that's being led by Jason Garrett. Extend him, please. Pay Dak Prescott. Anyway, Ben, that's going to do it for this week. We're done for the week, Ben. We get to sit back and bite our nails in anticipation of this I was about matchup. To say, if you were about to say enjoy, then you have a whole other thing coming. There will be no enjoyment happening over here. Yeah, I thought about it, and then I thought a lot better of it. So, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be nerve-wracking. You hope they make it easy for us on Sunday, or excuse me, on Monday to be able to talk about this game, because we're going to be they up late. They will not. Yeah. Spoiler alert. I'm going to be on very little sleep, very cranky, so hopefully they do us some favors. Ben, my God, man, get us out of here. Say goodbye to the gentle listeners. <sighs> my dear friends, thank <laughs> you as always for listening to the Kiss and Solak Show here on BGN Radio. We do appreciate you swinging by. This was the Eagles offense against the Redskins defense previewing the second half there of that Redskins-Eagles matchup on Monday night. If you want to leave a five-star rating and review, we read some reviews on the last episode, which was the Eagles' defense against the Redskins' offense. You should go catch that if you did not. Leave us a five-star rating. Leave us a review when they're funny. We read them out when you use interesting rodent-based adjectives to describe me. Uh, I protest on the show. It's a good time. Squirrely, uh, the kiss, or excuse me, Gowan and uh, Stolness, the BGN radio show. I believe Mike is out or is coming out. It is out. It is out, and so, uh, <laughs> dude, I totally, I totally stopped now, listening. My bad. I would very like, very much like for you to leave that like nine second pause where you try and process <laughs> what I asked you into the final product. There was six seconds of me not listening. There was three seconds of me staring at you. You're like, and... what did you ask me? What did you ask me? What did you ask me? <laughs> oh, Mike always turns it off for the uh, for the wrap up here. But go listen to Gowan and Stolness as they give their perspective on the Redskins game. Mike and I will catch you uh, bright and early Tuesday morning. That's like 1 or 2 a.m. Talking about the results of the Redskins game. Hopefully it's a win and the Eagles season remains alive. I've been Ben. He's been Mike. Did I do the Twitter names? No, I don't think I did. Benjamin Solak on Twitter. At Benjamin Solak. That's what I gave Michael on Twitter. At Michael NFL. It's K-I-S-T. Thank you so much for listening. We all we got. We all we need. Fly, Eagles, fly. Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seems Smart. 
It Seems Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seem smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain. Or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission. Or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart. (laughs) 